Joanna Lily Wong is a luxury home developer in San Francisco. Her design and development firm Innate provides design and project management services. Joanna is also a real estate agent with Compass, which is that cool new real estate company that seems to be taking over, or at least they are here in Austin. This is a part of a series or featuring women in the industry. And in this episode, we visit with Joanna on some very smart strategies she's using with her sales, marketing, and even design. We talked to her about her $15 million spec home she's just wrapping up. It is utterly stunning and recently featured on NBC's Open House. Be sure to check it out at 1350jones.com. And as always, be sure to sign up for our emails on our homepage of buildingoptimal.com if you haven't done so already. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so you have a $15 million spec home listed, 1350 Jones Street in the Knob Hill neighborhood of San Francisco. I really want to hear about that project, but I, I think it'll be most interesting for you to first share with us your background and your story as it led up to this project. So I'll let you frame it however you prefer, but I'd like to hear about maybe the chain of events over your career that ended up with you being right here developing an ultra luxury home in San Francisco. Uh, so I actually remember being a child and thinking that I would love to remodel homes and resell them, but I never thought it was actually something that I could do. It seemed too unrealistic to me, but I, I remember in elementary school, I used to sketch out floor plans for forts, but like the walls would be bushes <laughs> and I would, I would place like flashlights in the corner and like, figure out, you know, where my cat was going to hang out with me. And uh, I just, I was imagining homes. (laughs) So I've, I've had a few careers in the past, uh, but I just, I always got bored or I didn't feel like it was a good fit. I'm really somebody who needs to be really stimulated and feel like I'm learning something new every day. And, you know, there needs to be a really high ceiling or, you know, preferably a non-existent ceiling. So I, Left New York after living there for about 10 years with the intent of opening a boutique hotel in San Francisco. But I wound up getting a job as a project manager for a company that did construction, engineering, permit expediting, and inspections. It was all under one roof. So it was like a really intense boot camp, but it was just an incredible experience to have because I got to have a hand in all areas of construction and I really learned on the ground. Um, I had done renovations in New York before, but that hadn't been my full-time job. So eventually, once I had this uh, work experience in San Francisco, I started doing developments on my own. And the first was very successful, and I realized what was possible. I then got my real estate license, and this has really helped me stay in touch with the local market, have access to MLS, know all the agents, 
And it also gives me the option to list my own projects. But typically, I don't do that. I don't really have the time for that. Usually, I refer it out because I'm prioritizing the construction and development management. Um, but it is it is very useful for me to have. And um, so from then on, I've just kept going and going and had different projects. And I think that, you know, because development has so many different components, it, that's why it's retained my interest. And, you know, I recognize I'll never know everything about it. There are just too many trades. It's impossible to be an expert in, the, in all of them. And I quite like that. I like constantly learning and getting better and better with each project. Yeah, there's no doubt there is no end to the learning curve in this business. It yeah, seems like, never yeah, right when you get comfortable with how much you know, then something else pops up and you realize you don't. Yeah, and it's it's great though because it's also very humbling. You know, I just meet so many people who I have so much to learn from. You know, I mean, like I'm never going to be the best plumber in the world or the best electrician. Like, there's just so much out there for everybody to learn. I think it's it's really important to um, surround yourself with people who know more than you. Yeah, you really learn the value of a good team in this business, and you're at least for us. I mean, we're we feel like we're really only as good as the trade partners we surround ourselves with. So you're a woman in a traditionally male dominated field. I I think that's changing. I hope we continue to get more female representation in our industry, but from your perspective, how do you feel like that's affected your journey? Um, so what I've learned is that what you think is your weakness is actually your strength. And I think a lot of people underestimated me when I was starting out, but what that allowed me to do is see their true colors and know who I wanted to work with. When people see you as someone important or as someone that they can benefit from, they're going to treat you differently. And the reveal of someone's character is how they treat those who don't bring any benefit to them. Um, you know, I'm not a, a white middle-aged man walking around in a suit. I'm female, I'm younger than most developers, and most of my time is on construction sites, so I'm usually in jeans and t-shirt. You know, I look pretty casual. And another, uh, in regards to being female, I hesitate to generalize, but as a woman, I think that I may care about the house as a home more than some male builders might. You know, they, I hear a lot of people buyers say things like, oh, this, this house was obviously designed by a man. And don't get me wrong, there are amazing homes built by men. Um, I actually, I feel like I have a more male sense of design than a lot of other women. But um, a lot of men don't care about things like closet space and you know how long it takes to get from the bedroom to the laundry room and how easy the bathroom tiles will be to clean. And those are things that many female buyers, especially if they're a mother, they'll be looking at. Um, also from one of I've observed, if the wife doesn't like the house, it's a no-go. I was discussing this with a friend and he said, I bought my house and I never was crazy about it, but my wife loved it. And now it's been 20 years since I've lived in this house. And I think men can be more flexible when it comes to their living situation, whereas women, they want what they want and they're not going to budge. And I feel like I can, you know, say that and hopefully not not offend any women because I'm a woman, I want what I want and, you know, I'm pretty straightforward about it. <laughs> yeah, it well, it makes sense what you're saying. I'm curious though, it brings up a question in my mind, like, so 
you have these touches that I'll go ahead and admit, probably people like me may not think about uh, the distance always from the bedroom to the laundry room you reference. So you implement those in your, in your builds, but how do you communicate that to the buyers? Or is it, do you think it's just something to where simply when a female buyer walks in to uh, the home to tour that it's just stuff that they see and they see on their own? I do think it is something that they see on their own. They're imagining living there. And this is also where being a real estate agent comes in hand. Even though I'm kind of tapering off on on that end, it's been really helpful helpful for me to just see buyers come in and kind of go through the process of what they're thinking, you know, and they'll literally kind of reenact their daily life. Like, okay, I'm going to pull in my car here. I'm going to put my groceries here. And then I walk here. So like, is there a place to put the groceries down and take the shoes off? Um, or, you know, sometimes I see, I've been in other projects where, you know, there was like a really amazing design element, but then, you know, this lady, all she said was, all I see is like crumbs just falling in there. I just see my kids making a big mess of it and just it being a really difficult crevice to clean women tend to just imagine what their lives are going to be like in a space. It's pretty easy for them. Yeah. Okay. Let's come back to the Jones street project. The most expensive home I've ever done is one of my current specs, which is in the $4 million price range here in Austin. And, you know, for me, um, that's even a very, very high price point. So 15 million is just a, another world altogether. Tell us a little bit about that project and the story behind it. Well, I have really great partners in this project, one of which is the general contractor. I've never built a project in which the contractor was not a partner. This creates an incentive for the builder to prioritize a project and to do things efficiently and quickly. This house is a historical building. It's really different from the classic Victorian that you see everywhere in San Francisco. It feels like it belongs more in New York or London. Um, the previous floor plan was very chopped up. You know, it had a narrow, dark kitchen. It, but we knew that it had phenomenal views if we added another level. And when we scattered the project, we climbed up to the roof to see what kinds of views the top floor would have. So... Because of these views, the house has a reverse floor plan, uh, which is quite common in many luxury homes in San Francisco uh, because we get so many amazing views from all the hills. So the living room and the kitchen are on the top floor, and then the bedrooms are below. And, but the house has its own elevator, so it's not really an issue with in terms of climbing stairs. But we've been you know, getting a, r- a really great feedback on this house because it feels very modern and it's got all these great amenities, but it's not a cold white box. It has a lot of rich, warm tones in it. And we've added a lot of textured wallpaper and Venetian plaster. The front is quite handsome and distinguished, the facade is. So we wanted to make sure that the interior uh, was cohesive with that. And the whole house was gutted and reworked. But we did keep the facade as is, but painted it and replaced the windows and added lighting and basically upgraded the whole thing. Yeah. And you guys have a website, by the way. You guys are not paying me to say this. This is not a paid advertisement. I just got to, I have to say it because it is incredible. But uh, 
1350jones.com. Everybody needs to go like right now to look up that website because the views are just unbelievable from this project. And then the work is amazing as well. So one of the cooler homes I have seen in a long time. Thank you. It's it's 1350jones.com, right? Thank you. Yes. Okay, cool. All right. So one question I have before we move off the Jones Street project just comes to mind. It's that, you know, spec building is all about that trade-off between potential margin and potential risk. And so I'm just curious, how do you even begin to dissect the risk on such a high price point project? Well, there was a saying I read somewhere that said, if you can't manage $1,000, you can't manage a million dollars. And it's the same concept here. And the more projects you do, the better you're able to put together a budget. You know, you have to know your market, the things that a buyer at $16 million wants versus a buyer at $2 million are different. You know, a $16 million buyer is going to want an elevator. They're going to want a smart home. They're going to want, you know, at least a two-car garage. And so knowledge is power. Know your buyers, know your comps, know your market, know your construction costs. I would use the same formula to scout a million-dollar project as I would a $20 million. I would be looking at the same factors. Okay. Um, I'm curious what ideas you have for builders who want to include some luxury features in their homes, but aren't on an ultra luxury budget. Any features or designs that come to mind? The open floor plan is what everybody wants now. It's the most common change that I hear people are doing when remodeling their home. Everybody always convenes in the kitchen. Uh, Modern living combines cooking, eating, and entertaining, a large kitchen island people love. I would really prioritize the kitchen because also that's one of the photos that people go straight to when they're shopping for a house. I also like to spend more money on the things that are going to be touched. So like door hardware, carpet, countertops. Walking through a home is a very tactile experience and touch can really add luxury. And Often it's not until you touch something that you know what kind of quality it is. Are there any brands in particular that you feel like add strong value to a project for their price point? Um, Appliances are something that I think are very important and the name brand does matter to buyers. In my last few projects, I've used Melee and Thermidor and buyers have responded really well to those. Um, appliances can be a big hunk of change and they want a name that they can trust. I've used another appliance company that was in the same price range as Melee, but it was a lesser known name and buyers came in and they were just confused because they didn't, they just didn't know the name. And when they told them the price range or that they could look for themselves how much it cost, they didn't care because it was an unfamiliar name to them. Yeah, I'm with you on appliances. I'm curious for you to opine on this, but you know, I think that some of the other name brand products that buyers who aren't necessarily experts in home building or construction also might know would be, uh, for whatever reason, Toto toilets, you know, that seems to be something that is pretty recognizable, even more so than perhaps like plumbing fixture suppliers. Mm -hmm. It's just my perception on that. Do you share that perception or have any others? 
Yeah, I think Toto is a great one. And yeah, but you know, there's other things like, for instance, windows, which are so critically important to where I don't think most buyers really know about the different, it's more about the type, you know, is it an aluminum, aluminum clad wood window or, or whatever, you know, that, but the brand is probably secondary to that. So paying for the brand may not mean as much to most buyers. Again, that's just my perception, which may not be accurate. Yeah, I think the average buyer does not, wouldn't be able to name any name of a window company or door company. And maybe that has to do with how some of these construction items are marketed. Like, like I've seen a lot of appliance ads in like regular magazines, you know, or they're, they're trying to market to, you know, your average buyer versus like, if I see an ad for windows or doors somewhere, like a magazine ad, it's, it's in a trade magazine. Yeah. It's not for the average person. Yeah. I think it would be really cool to see some data and it probably exists somewhere, but like consumer data on, of all the different name brands of all the hundreds of things that, you know, you can put in to home from wood floors and tile brands, to windows, to appliances, you know, what, what things do people recognize? And I'm completely with you. I think probably head and shoulders above everything else would be appliance brands. Mm -hmm. And that's so important, but it would be interesting to see that data just because you can then prioritize where you know you need to focus on certain brands for your resale value versus where you can perhaps have more options to, you know, to go other directions. Right. And also with appliances, that's not something that's easy to change out or replace. So, you know, for example, if somebody um, hated the door hardware or the lighting or you know, a kitchen faucet, like that's pretty easy to change out. Like they would probably still buy a house if they didn't like some of those items. Whereas if the appliances, first of all, if they see cheap appliances, they're going to say, okay, well then the rest of the house is cheap. And a lot of times these appliances are built in. So it's not easy to be replacing these things. Right. Yeah. So I definitely, appliances are a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So the replacement cost is also something to factor in, in addition to kind of brand value. Okay. You seem to have a real command of the triggers that make properties sell better. I came across a few in my research for our interview on your Instagram, and I want to hit on one in particular, which is your view on the importance of photos for marketing. And I actually want to read a caption from one of your posts. Here it goes. You say, I almost always use a dusk shot as the opening photo when selling a house. Photos taken at dusk create the most dimension, the most oomph, and the most flattering light. Do buyers think that a beautiful sky belongs to the house? No, but it sets a tone and it creates a beautiful story, end quote. So you sold me on the dust photos. I have not actually ever done that before, but I'm about to simply because of what you said and it makes sense. What else should we be doing with our photos? Well, number one, spend the money on a really good photographer. When I first started out, I thought that I could just take the photos myself because I do have a bit of a photography background. But this type of photography is its own beast. There's even a a difference between architecture photography and real estate photography. Um, So the result of my 
attempt in the past was lackluster. Then I hired a company that was kind of wham, bam, real estate photography. They would have a young kid come out and shoot like three houses a day. And that's what most real estate agents do. But I was not happy with the result. I felt like the houses I was doing, they looked so much better in person than in the photo. So I coughed up the money and hired someone, a real professional who sees this as an art form, um, who spent 12 hours shooting the house, figuring out exactly what time of the day the light was going to hit the master bathroom, um, who actually cared about the staging. And it's a world of difference. And I'll never go back to being cheap with a photographer. The photo of my project of at Jones Street that's gone viral was taken from the building across the street and we coordinated with the doorman a week beforehand, carried a stepladder up to their deck, coned off the parking so that there wouldn't be cars blocking the house. And then we were running to get the perfect light. And it's a fantastic shot. And it's gone viral. Oh photo. Yeah. Yeah. You got to plan it out. <laughs> I'll testify to that. That is, that is the money shot. Yeah. And you know, you can have the most beautiful house in the world, but if you take a bad picture of it, people are not going to be drawn to it. I stay with the photographer the entire day to direct him and what I want and also to assist with moving the staging around for photos. Uh, so that's another misconception. You know, a lot of people or a lot of maybe more inexperienced photographer might walk into a house and just shoot it as is. But staging really has to be tweaked to get a great shot. What you see in real life looks different in a small rectangle. And it takes time to style and stage it. You know, overall, it will look like the staging hasn't changed. But in reality, that vase is, is one foot from where it was in the last shot. And you just won't get the best shots if you leave everything exactly where they are. Yeah, so true. And I want to reiterate what you said, which is there's a very real difference between a real estate photographer and an architectural photographer. And make no mistake that the architectural photographers, at least the good ones, are probably going to be quite a bit more money. So it's important to understand that and prepare for that, but it's worth it because you really can see if this is a luxury home, I think builders need to be hiring architectural photographers. It makes a world of difference. So I just wanted to reiterate that point that you made about the difference. Yeah, it, it really, um, I see it as, you know, you, you spend so much time building this project then why at the last, on the last step of the process, like why would you be cheap or compromise the image that you're going to project to potential buyers? Yeah. I guess it's like showing up to a first date, like, you know, wearing something that sweatpants. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any other tricks to better market our properties that come to mind? Uh, staging is very important. Uh, it's a big cost for our projects. And I know in not every real estate market, it's not as highly utilized uh, in terms of other cities. But personally, I would never consider listing a property unstaged. That as well as something that I used to think, oh, like maybe I could just do the staging and I'll just buy the furniture and handle this side of the business too. But that's another beast. The storage and delivery and organization, it's a lot. And now I'm really happy to pay the cost of staging. It's totally worth it. The people I hire, they know what they're doing. They know what shows well and what looks good in the photos. Um, personally, I'm minimalist when it comes to belongings. 
in my own home, I don't like a lot of tchotchkes and just extra stuff in the house. And I remember stagers would come in and put so much stuff in my projects and I would start to take it all out. Like, why are there so many pillows here? You know, you don't need like 20 pillows on a bed. Hmm. But then once I saw the photographs, I realized that you need all that stuff to make it look more like a home and to also give a sense of dimension and proportion. And now I trust the stagers more and I'm still highly involved in the staging, but they're right. You just need to have more stuff. So I hire the best stagers and I trust them. Yeah. I'll throw in one other and credit to you on, on your website. I think people can go to your website to get a great example of this, but your copy. So the written copy, the, the people who don't know what copy means, basically the, the text that you use to describe and sell your home on the MLS, on the website, on whatever marketing material. There's a very real difference between words, the words you choose. So you guys did a great job at picking exactly the right wording and copy to convey the, the real type of home that it is. So I encourage people to also not take that too lightly. Yeah. And I, for any person selling a home, I would, or building a home, I would encourage them to work closely with the real estate agent on creating that copy because Nobody is going to know the house as well as the person who built it or who was living there. You know, if I had a project that I was giving to a real estate agent, I would never have them just write the copy without me actually walking them through the house and showing them everything that that the house has to offer. Yeah. Because there's so much that's not obviously seen. Okay. Changing the subject a little bit. So you're also a feng shui consultant, which goes hand in hand with building design. And, you know, even for someone who may not be a follower of the practice or know much about it, I think there are things that we can learn from it as it relates to designing better homes. I'm just curious, a few ideas that come to your mind. So feng shui, it's, it's the study of spatial arrangements and how it affects our lives. And a lot is systematic, but a lot relates to intuitive living. So whenever I have a doubt about a design element, I ask, how does it make me feel? Does it make me feel happy? Does it make me feel cozy and rested? Does it make me feel expensive? Does it make me feel young and hip? And you know, how do I want a potential buyer to feel? I think spec houses can get a bad reputation for being cookie cutter or feeling lifeless And honestly, I feel like that result happens when the builder doesn't care about the house. If nobody put any love into the house, it will be felt. Each property is so different and has different qualities and potentials to play up. And even if you're building two houses next to each other, the views out the window are going to be different. So I think it's important to uh, respect the house as its own character. And, you know, I would recommend just standing in an area and asking yourself, how does this make me feel? For example, if you're standing in front of a house looking at it, do you feel excited to walk into it? Do you feel curious? Is there something beautiful to look at? If it feels flat and underwhelming, then add something that makes it beautiful, like some beautiful flowers on the pathway or some two large potted plants near the front door, or maybe paint the front door a more exciting color. So it all goes back to how does it make you feel? Okay. And one thing that comes to mind when 
you mentioned that is, you know, give these homes a certain amount of love. It can be felt. I, I agree. I think that no matter what your, your belief system is, that can translate into a logical argument. You know, we just posted a, uh, something on, on the cost of change orders and, um, certain things you just can't see until homes built and in place. And maybe right. you get in there and, and you can see certain things need a little more attention or whatever, and you can give it to them. But there's also, it's so important to really take your time in the planning stage and look through all of these things. Like what you just said, how certain homes have different views to be proactive and to think about what view you're going to be looking at out of that window, you know, is it looking out at a dumpster or whatever, you know, there's, there's, um, uh, certain things that can also be accomplished during the pre-construction to help make sure that you're making the home feel like it has the right attention up front. Right. Exactly. Well, Joanna, this has been a great interview. Really appreciate you coming on before we wrap it up. Why don't you tell us where we can find you online? Um, you can find me on Instagram at my name, which is at Joanna Lily Wong. And I also have a consulting firm that I've created called Innate, which is at www.ennate.com. And I started this um, consulting firm in response to all the people asking me for guidance in their remodeling and development projects. So um, I help select clients out with designing and auto representation and construction management. And it really brings me a lot of joy to help people along this process, which can be so stressful. Um, so again, my Instagram is Joanna Lily Wong and my website is www.ennate.com. Awesome. Joanna, thanks so much. Thank you so much.